Amen. Well, church, as you're having a seat, if you would, grab your Bibles. Um, We are going to be in Psalm 42, Psalm 42 this morning, as we continue in our series called Rhythms of Remembrance, where we're really remembering all that God is, all that he says that we are, all who who we are in him, and we're reminding ourselves of these truths through the Psalms that we've been journeying through. Um, And so if you don't have a Bible, maybe you have a Bible app, I never really encourage anyone to grab a phone, but I did tell uh, Britain back there on the slides that I'm going to be jumping around a lot after I read it, and I may be hard to follow and track on the screen, uh, but it's, it, it, I think it might be helpful and important that you be able to read with me as we journey through uh, Psalm 42 here this morning. So um, I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to jump in and see what the Lord has for us here this morning in this wonderful psalm, Psalm 42. It starts off, there's a heading. I'm going to read the heading because it's important for us, and it's in there on purpose. Psalm 42. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. And while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember. As I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and Hermon and the Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to God, a prayer to the God of my life. And I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy as with a deadly wound in my bones? My adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is God's word. That is, that is an intense, that is an intensely honest song in prayer. I mean, that is soul-wrenching as you read those words. This is a person in turmoil. This is a person whose life has just been uprooted, who doesn't know what tomorrow will hold, much less the next five minutes. This person is pouring his heart out. I would say the modern term we would use for someone that just wrote the words down that we just read and we looked at and heard would be someone who is depressed. Depression. 
this chronic rampant thing that we hear all too often that maybe you yourself battle with. Maybe it's been a lifelong battle. Maybe it's a new battle. Maybe it's, you can't even put words to it, but you feel down, you feel out. This is a person who is in spiritual depression. And one of the themes that we see as we read the scriptures over and over again, especially in the Psalms, is what the great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones would call spiritual depression. In fact, he wrote an entire book called Spiritual Depression on Psalm 42. And it's a great book. Um, It's something that we can all maybe identify with. Maybe we know someone that wrestles through it. Maybe you yourself do. We all get to these places maybe sometime in our lives. Some of us maybe even live there. And the psalm ends like this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? This is someone in deep crisis, in deep crisis. But here, what's interesting is the way that the psalm begins is there's a heading. And why I read it, most people, we just sort of cut that out and get right to the the body of work here. But the heading of the Psalms points us to a couple of things at the very least right out of the gate with this person that is dealing with such strong emotions here. Right out of the gate, it says this. It'll be up on the screen. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. So it makes two points. Number one, the sons of Korah. Who are the sons of Korah? Like it just, it states that like an obvious thing. It's like to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Well, the sons of Korah in the Old Testament were a group of priests and they were charged with the ministry of singing praises to God. Isn't that wonderful? It's this ministry, much like we just got done doing, singing the truths about who God is with the people of God, that we would gather together corporately and we would lift our voices to declare and sing the truths of all of who God is. And so in the Old Testament, the sons of Korah were charged with that very task. Second Chronicles 2019, it won't be on the screen, describes them this way. The Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So singing very loud to God to ascribe to him honor and worth and praise is a biblical thing. We corporately should worship and lift our voices. It's not just something we do because singing is fun. Here's a man in deep turmoil and distress, and he's saying, I'm writing this down so that the people of God would sing this. We would sing this together. So (laughs) praise and worship and singing right out of the gate is a biblical thing. There was a whole ministry in the Old Testament dedicated to it. We see this over and over and over again. This psalm, Psalm 42, was a psalm that was sung publicly by the people of God. It was announced. And so the psalms, as we've been walking through all these, these are primarily songs. A lot of them are poems, and they're written, and they're written in such a way to awaken and express the shape of our emotional life of God's people. So poetry and singing exists because God has made us with emotions. And singing somehow connects our hearts to what we know to believe in our head to be true, right? That's why we love singing. That's why there's something about a song that can reach 
into our hearts and make us believe and understand what's in our head to be true. And that's true of God's people with God's word and the truths of who God is. And so these Psalms help us connect and our emotions about them and about God are massively important. In fact, this whole Psalm is all about how this guy's feeling about his current situation. Second thing in the heading that I find very fascinating. Uh, It says the Psalm is called a mascal, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Like, what does that mean? Why is that just like a weird name? Is that, so, is that a person? Is that a guy that's in the sons of Korah? Well, here's the deal. No one knows what that means. We kind of have a general idea, but the reason it says a mascal is because no one knows how to translate it into English. They just kind of left it as a, uh, as a literal translation in the Hebrew and didn't translate it into English. So they just put the English letters that would spell whatever it was in Hebrew because they're like, We've never seen this word before, so we don't exactly know what it is. And so there wasn't enough reference points in the English translation to get us to a, uh, an accurate word in our English translation. So it's a mascal. But we have some idea. Scholars like to get some idea, right? So I thought this might be helpful. The word mascal, the root word, comes from the Hebrew word that means to make someone wise or to instruct. Um. And I like that. I think that's true. I think we can apply that here and uh, not be heretical. So when applied to this psalm, it means this is a song that I believe is meant to instruct our hearts and minds. And so my goal here this morning with the short few minutes we have together is I want us um, to feel the emotions of what this psalmist is walking through and you may be able to relate, and if you can't right now, you will one day, and I want us to think deeply on God as a result of all that he's feeling and all that he's thinking as we walk through the psalm. So I'm gonna give a brief overview of a few ways that this person is describing how he's in turmoil and then how he responds to his misery. Sound fun, right? And then I think these examples are meant to shape us. They're meant to be guideposts for us because all the things he's saying, his response to misery, his response to, this, to depression is so strange and so countercultural that I think we need to take note of it. And I think God has it here on purpose. So how he responds to grief and trouble is so counterintuitive. And as we are in our 11th week in the Psalms, we've been given some very counterintuitive responses to our realities based on this idea of remembering God even through pain and suffering and turmoil. This Psalm, the Psalms in general, are unbelievably honest in their writings. They're unbelievably honest about their pain. They're unbelievably honest about the things they're walking through and even not understanding exactly what's going on and, not, and, and articulating in such a way that we would often never articulate in a public fashion. And what's even more strange is not just how honest they are about their pain and the fact that they would write it down and sing about it together as God's people is that they are... Um, off the wall, hopeful in the midst of it. That's the most remarkable thing we see here. Unbelievably honest, but off the wall, hopeful. Because it's a very strange thing to live under the sovereignty of God as a redeemed person. 
<laughs> you can say things that sound off the wall crazy because you know God has you even in the midst of something you don't know your way out of. So here's the overview. Externally, the circumstances that he is facing are oppressive. Verse three, uh, he says that his enemies say, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Where is your God? Where is your God? So his enemies, there's a force against him that is up against him in a very real way, and they're just taunting him. They're saying, where's, where's your God? He's, he's nowhere to be found. Verse 10 says, says the same thing, only it describes it as the effect of like a deadly wound. He says, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, again, where is your God? And the taunt, where is your God, implies that something horribly wrong has happened, and it's very obvious to everyone around him. So where is your God? It means like they've looked at the situation. They can clearly see this guy is not in a good place and they're taunting him because something very clear externally has gone very wrong and has not gone according to plan. And so they're saying, I thought you were a guy that worshiped God. Where's your God now? He's nowhere to be found. His enemies are taunting him. So that's the external condition of this man. His enemies and the world around him say, you've been abandoned. You've been left. Um, second thing we see um, is his internal condition. So externally, he's being taunted. It's obvious to everyone around him. He's in a bad place. He's in bad shape. Internally, the psalmist is described as this guy full of turmoil. Verses 5 and 11, he describes himself as cast down and in turmoil. Verse 3, he says this, my tears have been my food day and night. Oh. I mean, he is so discouraged. He's so despondent. He's so just wrung out that it gives me this, this sense of, and maybe you've been there before. I know I've been there at times in my life where it, like you're just on the verge of tears like all the time. Like everything is going badly. Everything is going wrong. There's oppression. There's, there's all these things coming at you. And one little thing could trigger and you're just like about to burst into tears because you don't know what tomorrow, you don't know what the next hour, you don't know what those five minutes are going to hold. And you're just fragile. My tears have been my food all day and night. I'm so stressed. I'm so cast down. I'm on the brink of tears constantly. I've got no appetite. I can't eat a thing. I'll just eat my tears because they're constantly pouring down. In other words, my sorrow will be my food. Whew. Have you been there? In verse 7, it gets worse. If you can imagine, it gets worse. What? You're like, Boy, I'm glad I came to church today. Verse 7, he says, I, I feel like I'm drowning here. Listen to this. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. It's the sense of I'm coming up for a breath because I think I can see the lights maybe and then boom, another wave crashes over him. Right when he thinks he's going to get a breath. Your breakers and your waves, they bang, 
they keep crashing over me. I feel like I'm drowning. Just when I think I can get to the surface again, I barely get a breath, and then boom, I'm back down again. Externally, the sky is taunted. The sky, things are not going well. It's obvious to everyone around him. Internally, he's in turmoil. He's in tears, and he feels like he's drowning. And the third thing we see in this whole psalm, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, he's fighting for hope. He is fighting for hope. Actively. He's really fighting. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him. What does that mean? It means I'm not praising him right now. I can't praise him right now because another wave just hit me and I can't get a breath and I feel like I'm drowning and I'm suffocating and everyone's taunting me. But I want to hope in God. And I want to again come to a place where I can praise him. I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Verse 11, he says it again, the same thing at the very end of the psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is a very bizarre way of talking. He can't praise. Um... And he's telling his own soul, you're going to praise again. You're going to praise again. You're going to get there. Cling to hope. Cling to hope. Cling to hope. You're going to be okay. God will come through. God has not left you. Um, so it's this future. I, I want to praise again. And then boom, the psalm ends. you like, we just don't, we don't like unresolved stories. Like we're like, what? What happened? You just ended there? Like, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you into, like, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, O my God? And then it's, boom, ends. But I love this psalm. I think this is tremendously hopeful. These words are so precious to me, and I think they should be so precious to you, because our life is often very difficult. We walk through seasons of difficulty. We walk through seasons of pain. Sometimes ministry can be difficult. Sometimes there are seasons in my own life where I'm thinking to myself, oh, I, don't know if, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I feel uh, all sorts of emotions, and I'm just like wrought with turmoil within me. Just ask my wife. And I'm fighting for hope. And this psalm gives me tremendous hope because I know that this is okay to cling to hope in the midst of turmoil. Even when you can't even feel it and you don't know for sure if it's coming tomorrow or a year from now. And we have to preach these words to ourselves. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? I have to say it like this sometimes. Why are you cast down? You're a pastor. You've all peaked, like, right? Why are you cast down? 
Hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. You will again praise him. Sunday's coming. You're going to get to lift your voices with God's people and be reminded of the very truths of who God is and lift your soul and your heart and your mind to the realities of the truth of God, not to the despondency of your current circumstance, whatever you think it is. So are you downcast right now? I think we need to, as we read these psalms, stop faking it and stop saying, how are you? I'm fine. And fight for hope like the psalmist and be okay articulating, I don't, I don't know, the waves are breaking over me and I feel like I'm drowning, but I want to hope in God. So how does he fight for hope? Verse 6 tells us, my soul is cast down within me, therefore, listen to this, I remember you. I remember you. It's this mixed bag. It's not everything is solved, not everything in my life, all that God just sort of buttoned up and fixed it all right away. He said, my soul is cast down within me, therefore, my, the way I fight for hope in the midst of it is I remember you, God. This is amazing faith. And he's fighting and he wants to hope in God and have peace and have praise, but he's not out of the woods yet. And he finishes this psalm almost under the brakes still, not sure if he's going to get out of the crashing waves. And he ends, why, why are you downcast? And then the end. But he's still holding on to hope, holding on to God, knowing and remembering all of who God has been for him and all of who God will be, even in the midst of his turmoil, saying, that's going to get me through. That's going to get me through. He remembers his God. So I, I think this psalm is in the Bible by God's design on purpose so that our emotions and our mind and our response to depression and sorrow will be shaped by God. That we have this as uh, guideposts for us as we walk through those times to say, this is how I can respond, even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of despondency. And when we do that, and when we um, cling to these truths, and we cling to God in the midst of it, we become like a tree planted by a stream. And we begin to bear fruit and our leaves don't wither even when drought comes and oppression comes and discouragement comes and turmoil comes. I think that's what the psalm is trying to get us to grasp. All right, so application. I've got a few application points and then we'll be out of here. The first application is this, that I want us to, if you have a pen, these would be helpful to write down as we are remembering this psalm and how this psalmist responds to uh, this turmoil he's in, the first thing is he asks God why. So he responds to his circumstances. At one point by asking God why, verse nine, um, I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Now, I think that forgotten right there is a bit of an overstatement. Why do I say that? Does he really believe that God has forgotten him? No, because in verse 8, the verse right before it, he says, By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. So 
His head knows that God is with him. His head knows that God has not left him. His head knows that God is still walking with him in all of this hardship, but he doesn't feel it. So he asks what we all ask and respond to when hardship comes. Why is this going on? He's honest. I mean, if God, if you're on my side, why don't you just cancel out my enemies that are taunting me and help me walk through this life? My life is miserable because of these people and I can't take it much longer. God, I feel like you've gone on vacation and you've abandoned me. So the first application point that I see here is it is okay to have an honest wrestling with God. Asking why is a legitimate question even if it doesn't have theological or linguistic precision. His head knows the realities of his situation based on verse eight, but he doesn't feel like God is there. And so he's just saying, God, have you forgotten me? Um, and maybe secondly, application, church, as we were walking with and loving and serving and walking alongside people in pain, it's okay to let them ask why and not just have to correct them theologically right afterward. It's okay. Hold their hand, weep with them. Number two, uh, in the midst of all of this, the psalmist affirms God's sovereign love. Verse eight, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Verse five and 11, he calls God my salvation and my God even though it looks like God has forgotten him to everyone around him, even though it may feel like God has forgotten him, he never stops believing in the sovereignty of God, even in the midst of his adversity. So the sovereignty of God, what a sovereignty, the sovereignty of God means that God is in total control of even all of his circumstances, that he is not there by accident, that God is ruling and reigning over his life, even in the midst of his chaos and turmoil. He says, God's in control. Verse seven, listen to this. How do we know that? How do we get that? He says, all your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. Doesn't say all the devil's breakers, all the world's waves, all the whatever we want to place the blame on for our circumstance. He says, God, all of your breakers and all of your waves are crashing over me. I know you rule the world, the wind and the waves. You've made and created all. You sustain all. You have all and you hold all. And you are holding my life right now even as your waves break over me and even as the breakers crash over my life. He never loses grip on the great truths about God here. And God's sovereignty seemingly is maybe the only thing that's keeping him from just drowning in those waves, because he's clinging to hope that God is even here in the midst of this trouble. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Right? So he affirms God's sovereign love. And number three, what do we see? The third application point. He sings. We talked about it earlier. 
So at the very beginning, it's the start of this whole psalm. This is a song to be sung publicly. He, but he sings even in writing this song. He's talking about himself singing. He sings to the Lord at night. He's pleading for his life. And this is, look, I mean, watch this. Verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. This isn't a song of jubilant hope. This isn't a song of, yes, God. Like we used this youth group song, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And we all would jump and we'd pump our fists in the air and be like, yes, yes, right? I'm trading my son. Right? He's not doing that. He's not trading his sorrows and his shame. Well, I guess he technically is, but he's not singing it, pumping his fists. He is pleading with God. He's saying, you're the God of my life. You're the one that preserves my life. God, you've got to do something here because I don't know what to do. So I'm coming to you, Lord, and I'm singing to you. Because only you can come through. Church, that's why we're given great songs that, in, that, that help redirect our emotions. And they point us to the Lord that God's people are a singing people. We're a singing people. I met some people who are like, oh, I don't like singing, so I just stand there and I watch. God has put within us this, this way of connecting the truths and realities of who God is in our hearts, to our minds, out into a song because it gives him praise and honor. We're a singing people. Isaac Watts a great hymn writer, theologian, English guy, wrote these words similar to what we just read in Psalm 42. He says, how long wilt thou conceal thy face? My God, how long delay? When shall I feel those heavenly rays that chase my fears away? How long shall my poor laboring soul wrestle and toil in vain? Thy word can all my foes control and ease my raging pain. Song and poem pour out of us because it helps us connect our reality to that which God is. This is all over the Bible too. We just this is the, Psalm forty-two. Psalm thirteen is another one of these. Listen to this: "To the choir master." That's how it begins. A Psalm of David. It's not going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read it for you. So literally, Psalm thirteen. This is to the choir master. Here, church choir master, sing this with God's people. This is a Psalm of King David. And it goes like this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? (laughs) We're singing people, whether songs of triumph or songs of joy or songs of turmoil. Um. It takes a certain, a certain emotional wherewithal to sing when we're totally crushed. And only God can do that. And so I would encourage you, if you are totally crushed here this morning, or you're walking through a season and your flesh wants to fold your arms and stare ahead uh, and just kind of read the words, let the mercy and the grace and the goodness and the realities of who God is 
break into your heart and let it spill out of your mouth. Because there's something about it. I don't know how to fully explain it, but we're singing people. It's all over the place. And not just jubilant songs, um, but songs like we're in right now that help redirect our hearts so we know how to respond when trouble comes. Fourth application is he remembers. We talked about it earlier. This whole series is called Rhythms of Remembrance. And here, he talks about remembering right in the midst of hopelessness. So he remembers past experience, okay? He remembers past corporate worship experience, actually. This is amazing. Verse four, these things I remember. So he's walking through turmoil. Whoa, I almost knocked down your piano. That would have been turmoil. <laughs> Need more room. He's walking through turmoil. And he says, what do I remember? What do I anchor my heart to to help me walk through this to so that I remember God? He remembers worshiping God with God's people in church. Listen to this. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and a multitude-keeping festival. It's like I'm walking through a nightmare and what's helping me cling to the hope of God is I remember gathering with God's people and worshiping and singing and praising and opening up the word and letting God instruct me and inform my heart. That's what I'm clinging to. Now, many of us in this room, I know I, I, I grew up in it, uh, grew up with maybe a very possibly, not everyone, but some of us, a very shallow view of what's happening right here. Uh, a very shallow view of corporate worship, meaning it's a nice thing to do if you have time. It's a nice thing to do if, with your kids. Uh, it's, you, you just find the right one, find the one that's the most entertaining or the one that meets most of my needs or checks all of my boxes, but it's not a consumeristic thing, corporate worship. It's a gathering of God's people where we collectively together lift up our voices, whether in joys or in turmoil, to remember and to worship God. And what happens in corporate worship is massive. It's meeting with God. It's not an event. It's not just some cool songs to sing. If this were just me trying to give you some cool nuggets of information that might be helpful this week and the entertainment quotient of singing a couple of songs, then we're all wasting our time. This, this person is clinging to his experience of meeting with the living God in corporate worship and saying, when the waves are breaking over me, one of the ways I'm getting through it is I remember that God met with me in such a sweet time and he showed up. It's not nostalgia. It's not sentimentality. It's the living God shows up when I gather with my people and I long to get back there and I know I will once again and I wish I was there right now. We're all guilty of a very shallow view of what's going on here. If we, if we even knew, we might tremble in our knees every time we walk in here. Not because of the quality of the people 
doing it, but because of the majesty of our God. So, church, let's not take this lightly. Let's, let's, let's understand that these are encounters with a living God. I remember how I go with the procession to the house of God with glad shouts of praise and songs of praise. If you have a low view of God, then you'll have a low view of what's happening right now. And you'll settle for, this is an exchange of religious goods and services, and I'll just try to shop around and find the best one, uh, best bang for the buck. And unfortunately, that's the way a lot of... uh, Yeah. I'll stop there. God is here. Um, And when the waves come crashing over you, may we, like the psalmist, say, remember he was with you then when you gathered? He's with you there under the breaks. That's beautiful. Final application, Psalm 42. Um, All the way back at verse 1. He thirsts for God. The psalmist thirsts for God like a deer is panting for water. Verse 1 and 2, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. For when I come and appear before God, or another translation says, for when I come and see the face of God. Now, what makes this so remarkable to me, what makes this so strange in light of what this psalmist is walking through, and we've seen it happen in other psalms, and it happens again here, is he is not thirsting from relief from his threatening circumstances. He is not thirsting for mainly an escape from his enemies or even for their destruction. He's thirsting for God. Right in the middle, in the middle of the night, he's he's singing to God, God, I want more of you. The waves are breaking over him. His enemies are taunting him. They're right at his door. And instead of saying, get me out of here, he says, I want you, God. I want more of you. I'm thirsting for you. The Bible is constantly teaching us and constantly having to rewire our hearts and rewire our minds that we are not to be dependent and longing for material wealth, for security, for comfort, but rather that we would be a people who long for and run after and chase after and remind each other that all those things are shadows of the main thing and our highest aim and our highest treasure is God. And that we would run headlong after him. And we would use all those other great things that God gives us as a means to have resources to chase more of God. Get more of him. Not fame, not comfort, not security, not any of those things. Not first deliverance from the waves. But even to say like this psalmist, if your waves keep breaking over me, 
You know best. But I just want more of you in the midst of it. Some of you might not be there. Some of you might not be able to pray that. That's okay. But let the word of God start making some inroads in us. And maybe just use Psalm 42 if you are in a place of darkness and let it be a guidepost for your prayer life. Let it be a guidepost to instruct your feelings and emotions. Though in your head you may know, I know God never leaves me. I know he's sovereign and in control, but I don't feel like it. That's Psalm 42. Pray Psalm 42 until it becomes second nature. Be open and honest and don't be afraid to ask the why questions. And thirst after God even in the midst of the waves as the deer pants for flowing streams. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. For when shall I come and appear and see the very face of God? How do we see the face of God? Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. John 14. And Paul says when we're converted to Christ, when we're saved, when he uh, saves and rescues us by the blood of Jesus, he says, um, we see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We see that now because of Jesus. We have the fulfillment of the of Psalm 42. We have seen the face of God through the Lord Jesus Christ as redeemed people of God. We have a great and tremendous hope even in the midst of suffering. So church, as we think on this, as we let God's word inform our emotions, as we let God's word inform our mind and our hearts, may the Lord increase in you a hunger and a thirst for the face of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. May you chase after him because he is the fulfillment. He is where we find our peace. He is where we find our hope. He is our treasure. Jesus, who we cling to in the waves and in the breaks, is the one who is the glory of Christ and the image of God. And we can cling to him and find our great hope in peace through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, church. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for these honest, honest words. And we thank you for a tremendous hope even in the midst of suffering and even in the midst of turmoil. And so, God, I pray for those right here in this room that are struggling, that try to put on the good face and try to get to church, and they're wondering, Lord, when the next wave is going to hit them because they've been coming. God, I pray they would cling to hope even in the midst of it because we have the goodness, the mercy, the love, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who is sovereign, who is in control, who though we don't understand, though we don't have all the words, though we don't know the outcome, we trust him. And so, God, I pray that you would give tremendous comfort to that person right now in this room. God, I pray that we would lift our voices and sing to you, that we would remember who you are, that you do not leave us. 
then God help us to have a high view of you in this space. Help us anticipate and long for you to meet us in this space, not because of any person, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he meets us. God, we need you. We long to be a people refined by you. We long to be a people that can uh, pray prayers like this and sing songs like this. And then we as a people can rally around and point to the goodness of God. In Jesus' name.